Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hello and welcome to another episode of My Millennial Property. My name is Emily Wallace and I am joined, as always, by John Pigeon. Welcome, John. Thank you, Emily, and welcome to you. It's great to be here. Before we get into our special guest, who is a very, very special guest, we need to give our thanks to Sean Wellman. Sean Wellman is a great man. He's a very great man. He resides in Victoria alongside myself, um, but... The fact that he resides in Victoria doesn't mean that you have to be in Victoria to experience the Sean Wellman experience. If you are looking for financed to help you get further in your property journey, if you already have a property and you need to refinance, um, Sean supports this show and it's the reason that we can be here recording today. If you would like to speak to a mortgage broker, strongly suggest you look in the show notes for a link directly to Wellman Financed. Go and check him out. Absolutely. And you you know he's an... Adelaidean. Oh, is he? Yes. I actually didn't know that. Yes, he was born in Adelaide. If you, if for the listeners, if you Google the great man, he's uh, you'll find that he was born in Adelaide. Now he lives in Melbourne. Was an AFL footballer, a superstar. Played in the two thousand Essendon Premiership. So he's not just a mortgage broker, Emily. He's a man of of many talents. He is. I'm I'm learning, <laughs> learning more and more. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Very good. Well, I did mention we have a special guest today and we are going to jump straight into that. We have a special guest who is actually a listener of the show and he reached out to us. And I think this is a really cool, I guess, episode in that it's a listener sharing their story of property investment. His name is Matt Chamberlain and he joins us in the virtual studio. Welcome, Matt. Thanks, Emily. Thanks, John. Great to be here. Yeah, pleasure to have you on. And, and just a quick pre-frame, if you're thinking about um, jumping on the show, listeners, uh, we can't fit everyone in, but we'll do our best. Good call, John, because <laughs> no, we, we can't fit everybody in. Um, as much as we would love to, we'd love to feature every listener, Absolutely. but um, unfortunately we can't. But we're very lucky to be joined by Matt today and he has a pretty cool story to share. So, Matt, you are on a property investment journey. And as many of our listeners would be, you know, perhaps they're looking to buy their own home, perhaps they're looking to buy an investment property. What I'm keen to understand from from your point of view, being a listener and being in um, that mindset, when did you first come to understand property and what it could do for you as a, as a vehicle, as an asset? Probably started for me where I guess it starts for a lot of young people. And that was in reading a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad which I can see you're nodding your head now, it really was the basis for, I guess, me understanding what property investment is and, and how it can help you build you know, a really solid asset base for yourself in the future. 
Um, and it spoke to me at a really good time in my life. I was, I was quite young still. I think I read it in the years between, say, 19 and 21. And it spoke to me on a, a really basic level, which, you know, I could take in every word, really understood it. Um, and I actually read that book a, a fair few times after the first one um, because I, I didn't believe it was true, to be honest. Mm. Yeah, most definitely. There's quite a few different concepts unpacked in that book. I've listened to the audio book of it a number of times myself as well. Now, you say you were quite young when you listened to it, but you're still quite young now, really. I mean, 25 at the moment? I am, yes. yes. <laughs> I love what we saying, back in the day yeah. when I was young. and All those still, years ago, yeah. yeah. Younger than us. <laughs> That's awesome. So you read the book and – you obviously gained some concepts and some basic rules from from that book around wealth and wealth creation and property. Then what what were your next steps? What were you what was your thought process around getting into property? Yeah, well even before that it it the the thing that got me to read Rich Dad Poor Dad was actually the barefoot investor and that really started my whole kind of I guess investment journey and my thoughts about, you know, putting in savings accounts and and setting aside emergency money and all that kind of stuff. So I, I I had understood a little bit about how to save and how to structure myself to to essentially automate all of my savings. And then I was kind of looking for, well, I know I've got this money and I know I know I'm putting it aside. Up until that point, I'd only really been exposed to the share market. And I, I made a few what I thought were blue chip investments in the share market in uh, in 2014 when I just turned 18. I opened my own brokerage account and um, they those shares I picked three and and they all seemed to go south pretty quickly after I bought them. Um, so I was you know I had all these savings and I knew that well the first time I jumped into the share market it didn't work out so well. So I started looking for different options. I, I fell into Rich Dad Poor Dad because I was recommended it and. And then really, I guess the the journey really took off from there because I learned about this concept called leverage and how, you know, you can use, it is taking on a little bit of risk, but you can use um, other people's money that Rich Dad talks about to essentially control a larger asset in real estate. So, uh, you know, the the blinkers came off at at that point. It was like a light bulb went off in my head and um, I knew that, from that point forth, that property was going to be one of the foundations of um, you know my journey for for the foreseeable future. But it was just okay. Well, how do I save up enough money now to to have a deposit to get into a property? Yeah, cool. Yeah. So, Matt, we um, we talk about not wanting to be the smartest person in the library. We we want to get out there and and take some action. Um, so. How long did it take you from, say, reading the book to starting to save money to having your, your various accounts set up to, to then actually transacting in property? It was a long time. <laughs> it was um, So I set up my accounts. I remember walking into the bank when I was 18 and um, and asking the teller to, set, to open six online savings accounts and she nearly fell off her chair because she'd never experienced that before. Um but through that whole process, um, I'd saved a fair bit. Then I went overseas, saved a fair bit more, went overseas. So that this, this, the savings for the property probably started around, let's say, 20 or, or 19. Um, I had a little bit of a, a basis there, maybe let's say eight, ten thousand dollars um, at that point. Um, and then what I wanted to do was um, start saving consistently at, to a point where I was studying at the time. Um, and I wanted to, by the end of my studying full-time and working casually, I wanted to save up at, at least $25,000, which 
it worked out for me. I, I managed to put a good system in place and um, and made sure that I paid myself first every week, which got me to that goal. And then jumping into full-time work straight out of uni at 23, I then saved, stayed at home, saved as much as I could um, and purchased the, my first investment in, it was June, we exchanged contracts in June of 2019. So that was, um, I was 24 at the time. So it was probably about four, uh, four and a quarter, four and a half years. Okay. So, but some of those years you were studying at uni, so you weren't earning an actual full-time income. Is that correct? That's right. Um, I did the maths being an accountant. I I loved my spreadsheets or or studying to become an accountant. And um, I worked out that roughly across the year, because I was working casually, it was up and down every week. You know, I was putting away or I was earning, let's say, just under $30,000 working casually. And I made myself a goal that I would save at least 50% of that for traveling for the, the house deposit, which was where most of it went and for other things. You know, you take tax out of that and I didn't really have much left mm-hmm. um, in, the, in the meantime. So, yeah, working casually and, and worked really, really hard. And the whole goal was just to get that deposit in a, in a healthy situation so I, um, I could get stuck in. Yeah. Most definitely. It, with that sort of, I mean, I guess looking at someone who's studying and, you know, around uh, 30K a year of income and still wanting to travel overseas whilst also saving for a house, it's a lot to balance. Did you find yourself missing out on certain things because you were very focused on the savings? I'm sure there's probably listeners who sacrifice some things in order to achieve a long-term goal. Did, did you experience that over that time? Yes, absolutely. That was something that I kept kind of coming back to, I guess. It was always a decision in my mind as to what I prioritized and what I what I wanted. And for me personally, it was it was more I was happy to to scrimp and save on on some of the littler things, um, knowing that I was kind of putting my money to towards something bigger and, and better for the future. You're absolutely right. There was a lot of sacrifice. Thankfully, at the time, I was able to live at home and I was just paying um, $80, $80 a week in board. So there wasn't a great deal of, I guess, living costs. But because of that, I made myself a goal to say, well, if I'm not paying rent, I'm going to put all of that and some um, into a bucket and, and save it all up. Yeah, I think that's awesome. And it never gets boring for me hearing this sort of stuff. Like you just... You, you read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Yeah, that was one of the catalysts. You, you um, barefoot investor for, for setting up bank accounts and, and managing money. But the goal was set in place to say, I want to go and buy a property. I'm going to do whatever it takes. I know there's going to be sacrifices. I might not uh, be able to go out on a Saturday night with the boys, but I know that in two, three, four years time, I'll have reached that goal of, of buying that property. So well done to you. That's it's fantastic to have that strategy and that discipline to to see that through. I just want to ask, how did you know? Because I get a lot of questions from twenty something year olds saying, "How do I know when I've got enough money to buy a property?" When you first started out saving, did you know how much you needed and what was going to be your purchase price? No, and that was probably the big question mark that. Um that kept hovering over my head. I, I really didn't know when enough was going to be enough. So I, instead I set myself a goal of, of working towards $50,000. Um, that was the, de- the deposit that, you know, sprung into my head. Um, and that because I wasn't 
at the times of well leading up to that until I got relatively close to that that continued to be the goal that I'd set myself as I got closer I spoke to a mortgage broker and we started to really hash out what it would take based on my borrowing capacity to actually get into a property and eventually the property that I did settle on it was um, it was around that $50,000 mark including all of my closing costs so to answer your question the way I approached it was to, to set myself a, a figurative goal and just keep hammering away at it. And, and that speaks to so many people, doesn't it? It's like, well, don't think about the small stuff. Just get the system in place and just start saving money. The rest will take care of itself once you get to the stage where you know your borrowing capacity, um, you've got a good chunk of savings, you talk to enough people, you do enough research and then you execute. I think those foundation things are really key. We're going to take a quick break and when we come back, we're going to deep dive a bit further into how you actually went about buying the property, maybe some tips you want to share with other listeners who are thinking about the same and then what your plans are for the future. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. We also have a panel of trusted mortgage brokers we can connect you with to get you into your first home, an investment property purchase, or to review your current loan if you don't have a broker. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So coming back from our break, just actually one thing I wanted to remind our listeners about who obviously we've heard in the first part of this podcast about Matt's journey and how he had to potentially miss out on a couple of things to be able to save and sacrifice and he was living at home and paying board. I think there's a big thing around saving and the sacrifices you have to make and the judgment of other people. And I know millennials are really good at focusing on their own goals, but I just wanted to say if you're listening out there and you're worried about what other people think Um, about your decisions that you're making for your savings and the way that you want to plan out your financial future, um, stop worrying about other people and just focus on your own part. I'm sure, Matt, there might have been times when you were saving that you might have perhaps, you know, had comments or judgments from other people around how you were going about things. I think it's really important to acknowledge that everyone's on their own journey and everyone's on their own savings goals. And if you have to give up things, you have to say no to a night out because it's going to better your future. Please don't be worried about that. (laughs) 
just some life advice from a twenty-something-year-old <laughs> for our listeners. I love your so, I love your life advice, Emily. That's fantastic. I copped it for fifteen years for renting. Nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with renting. Mm. I'm a renter. I'm a rent vester. Absolutely nothing wrong with it. So, yeah. listeners, I hope that's helpful life advice. Now, yeah. enough on the life advice, <laughs> Matt. You, so we got to the point where you had seen a mortgage broker, found out your serviceability and you were now ready to purchase a property. How did you actually go about understanding um, where to put this money, where to place this investment? What sort of process did you go through? That's a really good question and it stumbled, it kind of stumped me for quite a while. So Throughout the time I was living at home, studying at uni, um, I actually commuted to uni maybe 40, 45 minutes each way each day. Mm -hmm. So I had all of this time where I was driving and I was listening to talkback radio and I was nearly falling asleep because Mm -hmm. it was just so dry for me. So I discovered podcasting and I actually fell in love with a couple of podcasts, yours included, where I learned a lot about um, property investment, tips and tricks and, um, you know, concepts and all of these things that essentially by the time I was ready to buy, I felt relatively confident in um, in my ability, my understanding to also um, a, a lot of what different podcasts speak about is building a team of professionals around you to help you execute, um, you know, your strategy. So I spoke to, I actually uh, interviewed myself, or I call it an interview, but I met with four different mortgage brokers and really wanted to align with someone who was thinking more so with me about what was going to be the next step after this one and not just looking to get me alone for this particular property and then, and then never see me again. So uh, I eventually found one in Newcastle. And um, again, back to the podcast, I heard a lot about using buyer's agents and I actually, eventually I did use a buyer's agent because being an accountant, I, I was all into the numbers and I all, I, I do understand, you know, the difference in um, the, the data essentially behind a lot of um, property investment decisions. So I felt like being a Newcastle or a Novocastrian myself, I didn't feel like I was going to get the most value out of my money if I bought something in Newcastle. And I was I was ready to, to essentially pay someone to help me buy somewhere else. And I eventually decided um, on Brisbane. So I purchased my property. Um, I, I still haven't seen it to this day, but I purchased it in Brisbane with the help of a buyer's agent who took me right through from educating me on the market all the way through to um, to executing, picking up the keys, and they actually gave them to my property manager. So um, yeah, it was a pretty seamless journey. I love that you said you actually haven't seen it to this day because to me, and John, you can feel free to chime in, but to me that's a sign of a great property investor in that you have no emotional attachment to it. I'm not saying that you shouldn't inspect your investment property, but I'm just saying the fact that you actually haven't cited it and you trusted in the process um, to know that that was where the numbers stacked up. I think that says a lot. What are your thoughts, John? Yeah, I love it. I've still got two properties that I haven't um, seen or been in and um, I've had them for over 10 years. So yeah, I think that's great, Matt. Just interested to know why you excluded Newcastle as an investment choice. Well, I mean, I didn't I didn't do much to rebut the thoughts around edu- um, investing in other in capital cities, and or, or also more so Brisbane. I think Adelaide at the time was an option. So I, I personally thought that Newcastle it seems to be a little bit of an extension of Sydney, 
Um, and we see a little bit of a ripple effect in property prices. So when Sydney grows over time, you, you'll see that that value kind of flow into Newcastle. And at, at the time, when I when I was ready to buy in, in July or June last year, um, I felt that um, that we'd seen quite a lot of growth in Newcastle um, and coming off the back of Sydney over the last, say, six to eight years. So I thought that, you know, if I was looking to buy something that I could then, I, the hope is that it grows in value, we then can extract some equity and, and buy another property. I felt like my, the prospects of a property in Newcastle being able to to fit that brief probably wasn't they they weren't there essentially when I compared that compared Newcastle to Brisbane. Yeah, cool. Okay, excellent response. So fast forwarding to life now, you are in your in notes um, when you reached out to us. You mentioned retiring by age fifty. I'm interested to see. Um, how you come about that age and why you want to retire at that age? I think uh, this will come back to, to, I guess, my interest in knowing what is outside a nine-to-five work week because at the moment, you know, you you have, it seems like 95% of the world works nine-to-five from Monday to Friday, but there just has to be something outside that for me. And and I like the idea of being able to do things on my terms and make decisions um, for myself instead of um, because, you know, someone is um, is asking me to do it. So, the the reason I want to be able to build a foundation or a portfolio that can support me until 50 is just so, so that I can essentially have a decision that at the age of 50, if I want to continue working, I will. But if I if I don't, um, then we have the option, my partner and I, to, to essentially live life on our terms from that day forward. Cool. Love it. Yeah. So in, in um, search for that goal in 25 years' time, what's your next step from here? So... The next step is the PPR um, or, or principal place of residence where we want to live. So we are looking at the moment um, in Newcastle to buy a property for ourselves for probably the next 10 years or so. But in the meantime or, or after that, we'd really like to delve into um, into purchasing more property. Um, again, it, it doesn't have to be in Newcastle. We, we're pretty confident to buy where, um, where the market suggests our money would be well-placed to essentially continue to build a portfolio that by the time we're 50, it's all the debt is paid off or enough of the debt is paid off so that it's paying us a passive income. Yeah, awesome. So do you see, because a lot of people talk about number of assets versus value of assets, do you see it as an accumulation process where you might have five, six, seven properties and, and you might own one or two of them outright or do you see it as, now I'm going to get two or three properties and own them outright by the time I'm 50? At this point in time, you, you might get a different answer out of my partner, but I'm quite comfortable with debt. I, I understand how debt works and how it can kind of service um, a portfolio in property. So personally, like I think that I'd be comfortable to, you know, if we were to get to that point when we're 50 or, or, or when we're ready to decide to retire, to actually continue to carry some debt on that pro- property portfolio, you know, it's it's very far away now, so we haven't really thought about proper numbers. But I mean, at the moment, I think I'd be comfortable to hold, say, forty to fifty percent debt on a portfolio, as long as the the debt's being used in in the right way and it's actually helping us achieve, say, a, a stronger cash flow or um or a stronger passive income for our um our retirement. Mm, sure. Mm. 
So for listeners who are, you know, maybe in a similar position to what you were when you started your property investment journey, or maybe they've, like you, they've got one under their belt and they're looking for their their next place to call home. Um, out of all that you experienced so far in this amount of time in, in your journey, what would you say is the number one thing that you underestimated the most? Probably the diligence, the, the amount of diligence that I needed to put in to make sure it all came together. And what I mean by that is it took me a hell of a long time to save the amount of money that I needed. So that was probably something that, and still to this day, like I feel like I want things to speed up much more and, and I want to, you know, I've purchased the first property and now I want to purchase the second and, and continue. But I know that it's um, it's a long, slow process. Um but it has only come together this far for me because I've been consistent and confident that, you know, the plan that I set for myself, as long as I stick to it and I kind of am in it for the long run, um, it'll all work out in the end. Awesome. That's some um, really good insights. I think as millennials, generally speaking, we're very much about that instant gratification of, you know, the next thing. And it is hard. I know even myself and people I speak to, it is hard to have a long-term vision and stick with a plan that is over time. So I think that's really good advice and certainly on the due diligence um, piece as well. Never underestimate that because it's a large part of getting it right and, and doing it the right way so that you're set up in a way that your risk is minimal as it can be. Mm. And I think it, it speaks to a lot of um, listeners out there that might be on 35, 30 grand, 40 grand um, that don't give up hope of owning a property, um, you, that you're living proof that it's it's happened in a, a three, four year time frame. Yes, there's been sacrifices. Yes, there's been discipline. Um, but the, the fact is it's possible. So just because you're on a low income out there doesn't mean that you – a, can't get a loan, B, save money, and C, uh, purchase the assets that you that you want to grow your wealth. We're just going to close off now, Matt. Um, I just, um, for the listeners, if, if you had one tip, what would it be? It would be to put a plan in place and reverse engineer it. So for me, I knew that I wanted to save $50,000. So I said, okay, well, how do I go about it? Um, what have I got to do today? tomorrow and the next day to make sure that I'll achieve that goal, you know, whenever it may be in the future. So for me, it was, you know, it turned into a four-year plan, but if I didn't work it out and work out how much I needed to put away each day and or each week and, and what that would turn into in, um, in, you know, three to four years, I probably wouldn't have started. I really wouldn't have, I would have spent that extra money, you know, yeah. um, down the pub yeah. um, on a weekend or something like that. So the the one tip that I could give um, to anyone and also myself for my future um, would be to make sure you've got a really solid plan. And then um, the second part would be to try and automate what your what your plan is so that you, you don't have to think make decisions about whether um, you're going to stick to the plan or not. Um, so for me, that was just doing automatic bank transfers and, you know, the pay came in and it went straight to my savings and I never had to think about it. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you, do you think just off the cuff you could have got there quicker? Do you think you could have done it in two and a half years if you changed a few things like a, a higher LVR or or more savings or longer hours at work? Like um, I'm always trying to push the edges here. So I just want to see, could you have got it done in a quicker time frame? 
Well, that's a really good question. And I probably could have, but as it is, I think I sacrificed a fair bit. And I actually did a few things to try and speed it up. And that was that I actually, um, I was working as a bartender um, and I, I strategically did that because um, I knew that as a bartender, you get paid more after seven o'clock at night and you get paid more on a Saturday and you get paid more on a Sunday. So, um, and also around those, uh, that when you are working, you're not spending um, on the other side of the bar. So and you get a few actually, free drinks. that was a very strategic, um, strategic thing I did because it made me, um, effectively uh, not have the ability to spend and also working, you know, making my time work for me um, as well. And so, so what I actually did is I put NAs in um, or not availability from Monday to Thursday and said I could work over the weekend. <laughs> oh, nice. Hot tip for anyone listening out there who wants to maximise their time and their hourly rate. That's a good one. I love it. Yeah, get on the other side of the bar. Definitely, most definitely. Matt, it's been an absolute pleasure to understand your story and I'm sure it's very relatable to many of our listeners. For our listeners, just a reminder as well about topics that you'd like covered in this podcast, always feel free to um, tag John and myself on the My Millennial Money Facebook page because we both check it. Probably I check a little more frequently than John. John's got plenty of things keeping him busy, Um, but please put topics in there that you'd like us to cover off. But for today, um, Matt, it's been awesome to understand your story and what's possible by the age of 25. And we look forward to seeing what the future holds for you and really appreciate you spending the time with us today. Thanks, Emily. Thanks, John. It's great to be here. Thanks, Matt. Been a pleasure. Have a great week, guys. We will speak to you very soon. Bye. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. Special thanks to Wellman Finance, our podcast partner. Sean Wellman and his team are available to coach you through your property journey, even if it's your first time. With expertise in investment and home loans, they're in your corner providing education and support as you take each step. For more info, check out wellmanfinance.com.au forward slash m3 if you want to really turn up your property education and information journey make sure you check out the solvair property and finance academy this is an amazing online resource that john has put together it's to empower and to give results to people who are either first-time buyers whether for their home to live in or an investment property or if you're a seasoned property investor this online academy is for you check out the link in the show notes it will change your life if you let it. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Mom 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.